So let's go now in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is a very long passage. We've only read two excerpts from it today. And we will focus on the parts that, that were read. At the end of chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul makes a beautiful statement. He says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. And in chapter 13, Paul focuses on the greatest of these, which is love, and gives to us a wonderful definition of what what love truly is. Then in chapter 14, he actually elaborates on love when he writes about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because he makes it very, very clear that these good, special, and precious gifts from the Holy Spirit are to be employed in the church with a love motive behind them. And that love motive is to build up the church in its faith. Any exercise of spiritual gifts that does not take that into consideration misses the very purpose for which the gifts of the Spirit were given, to build people up in the love of God and in faith in Jesus Christ. Now here in chapter 15, Paul leaves behind all of the worship matters that he's been talking about up to this point in time. And having already addressed love as one of the three virtues or qualities that remain, in chapter 15, he now focuses on the two other things. Remember, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. He's dealt with love. Now he's going to deal with faith and hope. Faith and hope. Faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you just look at your Bibles in chapter 15, verses 3 through 7, you will see that he makes it clear that this is faith in the gospel. That Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again from the dead. And the hope that he talks about is not just any kind of hope, it's, it's resurrection hope. It's hope in the resurrection that is coming in the future. When at the second coming of Jesus, the Bible makes it clear that those who have died in him will be transformed. And our souls will be reunited with our bodies and we will be transformed. And we will receive a body like the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. My mother died on October 31, 1974. And on the Sunday following her death, my pastor preached from this verse, which will go up on the screen. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. It's not there. Hmm. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us new birth, and, and a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. My pastor, Martin Wedge, was a very tall man, a broad-shouldered man. When he walked into the room, he, he commanded presence. He was very imposing. And that Sunday morning, he leaned for, for, forward as he was preaching. He looked right at me, and he pointed his finger, and he said, John, Your mother has a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That was 49 years ago, 
And that statement still impacts me to this very day. It was imprinted on my heart. And from that day until now, I have lived with this truth of a living hope through Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, every day when you and I have conversations with each other or with our friends, there's always talk of hope. And you can measure this, put it to the test. You will be surprised at how often things of hope come up in our conversations. We're always talking about hope, but usually, usually, we use the word hope as a synonym for nothing more than wishful thinking. Like, I hope the economy will get better. I hope food prices will come down. I hope inflation will calm down. I hope interest rates will come, well, they just went up. Or I hope the Toronto Maple Leafs will win the Stanley Cup. (laughs) Friends, these are things of which we cannot be certain. And when it comes to the Leafs, we may never be certain. (laughs) But when the Bible uses the word hope, the Bible uses it in a different way. The Bible uses the word hope to speak of certainty. Whenever I am at the graveside of someone we are committing into the ground, an interment service, I usually always quote the words from the Book of Common Prayer and say something like this, we are gathered here to commit to the the ground the body of our dear brother. And then I add these words from the Book of Common Prayer in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection from the dead through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the sure and certain hope. Sure and certain. Now that's, that's Bible hope. That's, that's Christian hope. That, that's not false hope. That's not wishful thinking. It is living hope that the Bible speaks of. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the the dead. And that means that in order to have living hope in what is to come, in order to have living hope in that which transcends life as we know it now, in order to have living hope that is beyond death itself, then we have to look back to the past. We have to look back to an historical event, something that actually happened in a moment in time. And that's what Paul does here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when he brings us back to the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, before we look at the text itself, I want to ask a question of all of you today, and it's a personal one, and you don't need to answer out loud, but please answer it. How do you feel about your body? How do you really feel about your body? Have you complained or been frustrated with your body at least one time in this past week? If I were to guess, I would say that that most of you have answered that question in one of two ways. Some of us are concerned about our body image, how we look. We may not like how we look. Others of us are concerned about our body limitations and afflictions. Some of us actually hate our bodies. We 
We wish we were taller, we wish we were shorter. We wish we looked differently. We wish our nose was, was a little thinner and not as broad, or broader and not as thin. We have a problem with body image. For others of us, the problem is body limitations. And this is especially true of us as we get older. Our, our eyes are weak, vision is a little blurred. My strength is depleted, my memories are waning, my capacities are diminishing, my muscles are growing weak and they ache. And some of us get sick. And some of us stay sick. There's something wrong with our bodies. Let me ask again, uh, how many of you have had medication for one reason or another in the past month? How many of you in the last year have, have undergone some kind of a medical procedure on your body? Surgery, perhaps. We have problems with our bodies. Now, the Bible tells us that when God made the first man, Adam, in Genesis 2, it says that he made him out of the dust of the earth. Not exactly the building material that you and I would want to work with. He made him out of the dust of the earth. And that is why the Bible refers to our bodies as, I'm quoting now from the old King James Version, earthen vessels. More modern translation, jars of clay. Peter and Paul both refer to our bodies as a tent. And Paul says it's a tent in which we groan. It's a covering, we groan in it because of the afflictions of life. And in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul refers to our bodies as lowly bodies. Lowly bodies, basically meaning weak. Weak bodies, bodies that succumb to things. And our mothers remind us of how weak our bodies are every time they tell us that we have to take our vitamins. And when flu season comes, we get encouraged over the radio and all kinds of advertising. I listen to Zoomer radio most of the time because I like to listen to the oldies. And, and, and they don't just encourage you. They, they practically hound you every time flu season comes around that you've got to get your flu shot in order to boost your immunity because your body's weak. And the last number of years with COVID, we were confronted with this again. And while we thank God that COVID was not as bad as it was predicted to be, many people lost their lives. And we were reminded again that even a microscopic virus can kill you, our weak and lowly bodies. And so all the different religions of the world try to address this problem with our bodies. They, they, they give us teachings and doctrines about our physicality. And some will say that the body has issues. Others will say the body is the issue. It's the problem. The problem is our bodies. And so in many of the religions of the world, the body is considered to be evil. It is really just the soul that matters. It's the immaterial part of the human being that, that really has value and worth in the body. As soon as we can get out of these bodies, free of these bodies, then we experience real freedom. And unfortunately, that kind of thinking has even entered into the minds of many believers, and you often hear this notion that salvation is to be free from our bodies. This kind of thinking has seeped into the church. 
So it's very, very important that we think both clearly and Christianly about what the scripture says about our bodies. And I think we need, first of all, to remember that, 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 that our bodies are God's first act of creation. When God created the first man, he, he made him a living soul. He, he gave to him a body out of the dust of the earth. And since that point in time, until now, how many billions of people has God created? And, and what was said about everything that God created? And it was what? It was good. It was good. So our bodies are good because they are an act of God's creation. And then there's the great act of incarnation where Jesus Christ became flesh, he became a human being. And every Advent, Christmas season, we remember and we celebrate the truth of the incarnation. I heard Sam Albury, who preached here in the past, once say that it's harder to pay the human body a greater compliment than the fact that Jesus became a human being. It's amazing, it's an amazing thing about the incarnation of Christ that that his incarnation, Alberry says, was not a temporary expedient. He remains incarnate. And when Jesus ascended, he did not jettison his body like booster rockets. He has forever united himself to human nature. And so his act of creation and his act of incarnation means that you and I cannot write off our bodies. We, we cannot consider our bodies to be essentially evil. The living hope that we have is a, is a resurrection hope. So because of creation and incarnation and ultimately resurrection, we know that the body is good. And here in chapter 15, he talks about these resurrection realities that give us living hope because our living hope is a resurrection hope, and he presents us here with, with some good news about our bodies, that God has a plan for you, not just for your soul, not just for your spirit, that God has a plan for your, your body. And in Romans 8, the Apostle Paul speaks about the redemption of our bodies. And here in chapter 15, we see that that future hope is grounded in a past historical incident. incident an event that happened, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 15, verse three. Paul says, for I received, what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, meaning according to the written plan of God that was given in the past. That he was buried, the burial was important because the burial is evidence of the proof of his death. And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, according to God's plan. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. And Paul mentions the appearing of Jesus after his resurrection because the appearing of Jesus is again proof of his resurrection. So it's clear here that that he says, I received this from the Lord and it's of first importance. Listen, everything in the Bible is important. Every biblical truth is important. Every spiritual truth is important. But there are some truths that are more important than others. 
And this is of first importance because it is right at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ itself. If we take away the resurrection, if we only have the death and the burial, we don't have good news. Because every human being dies and is buried. But Jesus Christ came out of the grave. And that's the good news. In other words, it's clear in this passage that the resurrection is not some incidental part of what happened. The resurrection of Jesus is not a truth that, you know, you can take it or you can leave it. It's, it's not some nicety, but not a necessity. It's not a, a doctrinal, optional extra. Up to you whether you believe it or not. No, it's a matter of first importance because without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no hope. There is no hope at all. Now, Paul, in this passage, he appears to be responding to, to two different kinds of, or two different groups that were in the church. One group would have been actual deniers of the resurrection. And the other group would have been those who were doubting the resurrection. I'm talking now about the resurrection to come. And he mentions this in verse 12, chapter 15, verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? These, these are members of the Corinthian church, and they're, and they're denying that there is a resurrection of the dead in the future. I think it's important to point out, they weren't necessarily denying the resurrection of Jesus. They were denying a resurrection to come in the future. But, but Paul links the two. He links the past resurrection of Jesus with the future resurrection of our bodies. But these individuals were saying probably something like, well, yeah, well, we know, yeah, of course, Jesus rose again, but, you know, that was, was kind of an aberration. It was kind of this weird thing that happened. It's very, very unique, of course, we understand that, but it was a one-off. We don't think it'll ever happen again. Resurrection of the dead? And so Paul responds in the, thir the thir 13th verse. He says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Essentially what he's saying is that Christian faith and Christian hope, faith in the gospel and, and hope for the future, it all falls down. It's like it's, it's, it's nothing more than a, than a house of cards that just that, that, that falls to the ground the moment the slightest wind blows upon it. According to the Apostle Paul, there is, there is no such thing as a resurrectionless Christianity. Some of you may be visiting with us today and you, you've attended other churches in the past. Maybe you, you, you go there on a, a regular basis and, and you know that in that church that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is sort of put aside and the resurrection of the dead in the future is sort of put, a, put aside. It's really, it, it really doesn't matter if it's true or not. Listen, if that is the case, you are not attending a Christian church. You're not. You can have a cross on the front of your church. You can have all the veneer of, of Christianity around your church. You can have scripture verses hanging off the walls. But if you deny the resurrection, it's not Christian. Now notice what Paul does here. Paul, in a sense, plays the what if game. You know what I mean by the, the, what, the what if game? What if this were to happen? And so he, beginning at verse... Um, Beginning at verse 13, it's sort of like, well, what if Jesus did not rise again from the dead? 
Now, historians do this all of the time. And if you've ever been in a, a history class in either high school or college, you'll, you'll remember times where the teacher said, well, what if, what, if, what if Adolf Hitler had been successfully assassinated in 1944? What would have been the outcome of World War II? Or what if Montcalm had defeated Wolfe in the Battle of the Plains of Abraham outside Quebec City? What would the future of Canada be? Or what if Canada had not won the War of 1812 and the Americans had? Would we be Americans today? What if Japan got the atomic bomb first? What if Vladimir Putin was never the president of Russia? And what if Zelensky had accepted the American offer to get on a plane and be taken out of the Ukraine to save his life when Russia invaded the Ukraine over one year ago. How different history would actually be. What would happen historically if, if a key event or thing was actually reversed? What would history really look like? And the biggest what if is, what if Jesus was not raised from the dead? Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, vain, futile, and so is your faith. Everything I'm doing this morning is like it's stupid. And you're being even more stupid by sitting here listening to me. And then in verse 15, he adds, more than that, he says, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. The apostles have misrepresented God. I've been preaching since, well, I've been preaching for 46 years. And that means that all I've been doing is being a false witness for 46 years, spreading a lie. If Jesus Christ has not risen from the grave, then, then we are all getting God wrong. We, we are wasting our time and our lives. If Jesus Christ was not risen from the dead, then it's not that we just have one less thing to preach about. Frankly, we have nothing to talk about at all. And this is a reminder to us that, that, that our faith Christianity is unique. It is, it is rooted in history. We have a historical faith. That is, it is based on facts that occurred verifiably in history. And, and friends, that is not true of all the religions of the world. Some yes, but many no. You can believe in Hinduism, and it doesn't matter whether Hinduism is historically true. You can have Buddhism, even if you can prove that the Buddha never lived. It won't affect a Buddhist at all. Because Buddhism is not ultimately about the Buddha. But Christianity is all about Christ. But if Jesus was not born, and Jesus did not die, and Jesus did not rise from the dead, then there is no Christian faith at all. Our efforts to bring people to faith in Christ are absolutely useless. 
verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Futile faith. Have, have, have you heard people say things like, well, you know, it's really important to have faith. It's not just Christians who say that. Lots of people say, it's really important to have faith. Or someone might say to you, I wish I had your faith. Or it, it, it doesn't really matter what your faith is in as long as you have faith. As though, as though the, possession, the possession of faith is all that's needed. But having faith is not the issue. It is possible to have faith and it for, for, to be, as it says in verse 17, for it to be a futile faith, a useless faith. There is such a thing as a futile faith, and a faith without the resurrection of the dead is a futile faith. If our faith is in a Christ who did not rise from the dead, what then? Verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. My mother is lost. Your loved ones who have died in faith in Christ, who've died in Christ, they're all lost. Can I go a step further? And, and th this is gonna be hard to, hard to hear, but for those of you who are suffering right now, because you are caring for a believing relative, and it is clear that that relative will not be with you long, but you are being consoled by the truth that you will have a future reunion with your loved one in resurrection glory if Christ has not been raised from the dead then you are an idiot for accepting that consolation because it is a false hope it is nothing more than wishful thinking if Jesus Christ has not been raised from the grave, you are deceiving yourself with a false hope. Verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. We have nothing without the resurrection. But if Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, and he has, what then? So let's consider because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. If Jesus has not risen from the dead, we have lost everything. But if Jesus Christ has been risen, then he is the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who've died in Christ. He was the first to rise, and the verse is essentially telling us that there is going to be more to come. In other words, Paul is saying the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a, a one-off. It's not an isolated event. It is, it is not a true but never-to-be-repeated event. He is the first of the crop before the rest of the crop will be harvested at a great future resurrection day. He, he is, as, as it were, the initial batch of the harvest with a promise of more 
to come. What happened to Jesus, Paul is saying, is going to happen to us. Verse 20, but each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the guarantee of a future resurrection. It is the demonstration of the future. Now look at what he says in verses 21 through 23. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Death came through a man. That man was Adam. And we all die because Adam sinned and died. The resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, the man Christ, Jesus. For as in Adam all die, verse 22, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. You see, the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes our resurrection inevitable. And therefore, we have hope. We have a, we have a future hope. So let's focus now on this hope of our future resurrection. And we go, we, I want you to jump down with me now to verse 35, where there are two questions that are asked. How are the dead raised? And what kind of body will they come? Notice he says, but someone may ask. I think Paul here is speaking of, of those who were doubters of the resurrection. They were struggling about whether, whether the resurrection in the future was really true or not. He's already addressed those who deny the resurrection, who say there is no resurrection of the dead. Now he addresses those who are struggling with this truth. And perhaps their doubt is expressed in the two questions that are asked. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Now, it's not surprising, really, that when we talk about resurrection, there will be questions that spring into our minds immediately. I mean, this, this is an incredible thing. Resurrection. Of course, all kinds of questions begin to flood our minds. Like, like how is this going to happen? And, and, and what is this going to be like? And then it leads to things like, well, at the resurrection, if I die when I'm 85, will I be like, look 85 when I am resurrected from the grave? Or will I look like I'm 30? Or will I look like I'm 18? Like, we have these questions in our minds. And what about those who've died in childhood? When they are resurrected, will they be kids again? Or will they be full-grown adults? You follow me? I mean, there, there's all kinds of questions that start to come to our mind. I mean, the question I always ask is, am I going to be unmistakably handsome as I am now? <laughs> well, listen, it's natural to wonder about these things, but it is foolish to worry about them. Look at Paul's answer in verse 36. How foolish. How foolish, he says. How foolish. You see, it's possible to ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? It's, it's possible to ask that just out of a state of curiosity. It's also possible to ask those two things with mockery. How foolish, Paul says. But either way, the answer is really the same. If, if you think... If you think for a moment that the resurrection is unbelievable because you can't imagine it or you can't get all of your questions about it answered, then that's really foolish, she's saying. Because he says in the next verse, these aren't his words, but in essence, this is what he's saying. 
The concept of resurrection is not a difficult thing to grasp because resurrection is actually seen in creation. Look at what he says. What you sow, verse 36, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So he's, he's giving us an agricultural illustration. And, and we all know this is true. We do, we, none of us have to be experts in gardening in any way to know that this is true. We know that when you take a seed and you place the seed, you dig a little hole, place the seed in the ground, put the ground back over it, you are burying a lifeless seed. You're putting the dirt on top of it, and, and, and you leave it there. You've sowed it. You've planted it. And there is a sense then in which that seed dies because you have buried it. You've buried a lifeless seed. But from a lifeless seed comes life. From death comes life. In fact, without the death of the seed, you, you can't get life. Now, if you have a package of seeds that you have never planted and you, you, you keep looking into the package and you see the seeds there, but they never grow and you keep wondering why it never grows. Well, the reason why it, they remain lifeless because you have to put them into the ground in order for them to come to life. Nothing will happen to your seeds until you bury them. And when you bury them, what happens? Life pops out of the ground and we see it every spring. And when we do this, life is there. Death comes first and then it is followed by life. And so essentially Paul is saying that this should not surprise us at all. We see a body go into the ground. One day that body's gonna come out of the ground, Paul is saying. The body is buried so that it can be raised up. Look at verse 37. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. We know that, that what goes into the ground is different than what comes out of the ground. Now, it's not obvious by looking at a seed what that seed will turn into eventually. If you take a tomato seed and you look, you look, you look at it, you will see it doesn't look like a tomato. Matter of fact, it's not even red. But when you plant it in the ground, it comes out differently from what you plant into the ground. The same with a carrot. Are carrot seeds in the shape of a carrot? No, of course not. Are they orange? No. It's not obvious by looking at the seed what the seed will become. I, I can remember as a, a little boy, we had this huge maple tree in our, back, our backyard. And I remember standing under the maple tree when, when, when the seeds of the maple tree would fall to the ground. Anybody had that experience before? You know how it, it twirls? The, the technical name for a maple seed is a Samara, but we used to call them helicopters because they would twirl to the, to the ground, and I would run and try to catch them as they, they were falling to the ground. You, you look at a helicopter seed of a maple tree, and you can't envision that it's gonna become a maple tree. It is different in shape, it is different in size, it is different in all ways. What goes into the ground is different than what comes out of the ground. You, take, you pick up an, an, an acorn that you, fall, you, you find on the ground and you look at it and how small it is, but that acorn becomes an oak tree, a gigantic oak tree. 
It is not beyond the powers of our imaginations then to realize that, that the, body goes into the, gro- the body that goes into the ground is not identical with the body that comes out of the ground. Look at verse 38. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Verse 39. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. Now he moves from agriculture to anatomy, different kinds of bodies. And the point is, is that God is, God is very, very good at making bodies for different kinds of things. He makes a certain kind of body with a certain kind of flesh for a fish and for a bird and for a mammal, for a reptile, for a frog, whatever. It's, it's, it's all different kinds. And it's clear for us to observe this. And you don't have to go into deep scientific inspection or observation here. The body of a fish is different from the body of a bird or of a reptile or of a mammal. And God is good at making different kinds of bodies. But what he says is not limited just to what God creates here on the earth. Because in verse 40, he says there are also heavenly bodies. So he moves from agriculture to anatomy and now on to astronomy. Verse 40, there are are also heavenly bodies, bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor or the glory of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. Just this past week, uh, the pastors of our church were involved in a pastor's retreat up at Muskoka Bible Center. And on Tuesday morning, I, uh, I have a small boat and with a very small motor. And I went out on the Muskoka River, and I was out on the river by about 5 o'clock, and just shortly after 5.30, the sun came up. And I was trolling up the Muskoka River. And suddenly I noticed that the the sun had finally gotten above the trees. And it was a picture of the sun I'd never seen before because the sun, like all of us experienced in this past week, was, was, there was a, a smoke cover over the sun. It was this haze. And I looked on this, I, I, I was enabled, because of the haze of the smoke, to actually look directly at the sun and not burn the retinas out of my eyes. And it was a reddish, pinkish dot just above the trees. I have a picture of it on my cell phone if you want to see it afterwards. And I didn't think much about it at that time, but when I got back to the Bible Center, back to the, the, con- the conference ground, I looked at the photo and I, I enlarged the picture of the sun, just this little dot, and I was amazed at what I saw. Because not only was I enabled to see it in a direct way, but I, it, it, the haze of the smoke enlarged it, it, it enhanced the picture. In other words, when I enlarged it, I was able to see the rim around the edge of the sun. And you know how the sun has, has you know, these bursts of flame that, that fly out into space off of the sun? I could actually see that. I could see it. <coughs> now, what Paul says in here in verse 40 about there are heavenly bodies and the sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another and stars another... What he says here, we know this, I think, even more than the Apostle Paul knew it. Because the Apostle Paul was writing this in the day before there were telescopes. 
33 years ago, the Hubble Space Telescope was put into orbit, and we have been looking at pictures coming back from that now for 33 years, and we see the splendor, the glory of stars and planets and even of galaxies beyond our own. Now, what do, we, what do we say when we see something like that? What do you say when you, when you see the picture of, of a sun or a star or a constellation or a galaxy? The word is wow, right? And that's the right word to use. It's wow because there's a glory to it. It's amazing. The point is this. If God is good at making bodies, bodies of creatures and bodies for planets and bodies for stars, then he is capable of bringing new life out of death. He is capable of giving us new bodies that will be appropriate for the age to come. And when we look at creation, we see resurrection everywhere. And that resurrection leads us to this next point, And that is that resurrection is transformation. It will be transformation. Look at verse 42. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It's perishable. Right now, the bodies we are living in, they age. They weaken. They fall apart. They decompose. Death is inevitable. And friends, it really doesn't matter how healthy you eat. You're not going to be able to change this. It doesn't matter if you remove all red meat from your diet or pump yourself full of vitamins every day or eat tons and tons and tons of kale. You will die. Actually, if you eat lots of kale, you'll probably feel like you want to die. (laughs) Oh, we can be so smart and think that we can delay death, but we cannot avoid death. Our bodies are sown perishable, but they are raised imperishable. Next line, verse 43. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Sown in dishonor. How true. You know, we, we try every day, and, and, and some of us did it even today before we came. We try to make our bodies look honorable. We we cover our bodies with, with fashionable clothing. But our bodies are sown in dishonor. And there is no amount of clothing or cosmetics that can cover it because our bodies have been affected by sin, infected with sin. Our bodies are vehicles for sin. And our bodies are inhabited by sin but our bodies will be raised in glory. No longer will we bear in our resurrection bodies the the memories and the marks of sin, for we will share in the glory of God. Verse 43, again, it is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Weakness, oh wow, how can we relate to that? Our bodies are so easily damaged. There are limitations and frailties that we have. Even in in the prime of our youth, 
when we are the most strong we have ever been, there are frailties and limit and limitations. And those things are magnified as we grow older. Two months ago, I, I was forced by circumstance to go on a ladder and to get up on top of the roof of a cottage to repair a roof. Had to do it because water, the shingles had blown off and the water had come in and destroyed the floor of the, cot, the cottage. I had no other option. I had to go up onto the roof. And if you know anything about me, I am afraid of heights. But interestingly, when I was in my early 20s, I worked in downtown Toronto on a scaffolding four to five stories up, cleaning windows. And it never bothered me. But as I've gotten older, I am afraid of heights. And, and as I, I slowly made my way up that ladder, and Andrea hanging on, I, Andrea, make sure you're hanging on down below. I don't want this thing to slip as I'm going up the ladder. And I, I'm tra- at that moment, you know, where it's hard, where you have to transfer off the ladder onto the steep incline of the roof. I was paralyzed with fear for, for a moment. I really was. And I could not move. And it was just sheer willpower and trusting in God. I have to get up on this roof. I've got to put a tile where the tiles have blown off. Weakness. Sown in weakness. Ten days ago, I was with my cousin Kathy in Edmonton. and was shocked to learn that she has acquired um, uh, an illness of her eyes called Nystag, nystag, stagmus. I'd never heard of it before, but essentially what it means is that the muscles in her eyes, she cannot control them at all, and her eyes are constantly bouncing, up and down, up and down, up and down, constantly bouncing. She's had to surrender her driver's license, has to walk now with a cane because, because of the constant movement of her eyes. She finds it difficult to balance herself. Sown in weakness, Look at the next line. Raised in power. Oh, hallelujah. Never again are we going to be subject to the frailties of this life, its limitations, or the illnesses and the diseases that we so easily succumb to. Never again will we experience afflictions and infections that can rob us of strength and life. We will be raised in power. Verse 44. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. These present bodies are natural bodies. The resurrection body will be a spiritual body. Now, it's important we not misunderstand what Paul is saying here. He is not saying it is a spiritual body in that it is not a physical body. That's not what he's saying. What he's, what he's saying is the physical bodies we have now are natural bodies. That is, they belong to this present age, but the body we will receive is a spiritual body. It will be physical, and it will be completely suited and belong to the age that is to come. It is spiritual in every sense in that it will be the perfect vehicle by which we can glorify God in the age to come. It is perfect in all the ways that it needs to be perfect, and this is an exciting thing. Friends, what should excite us about the resurrection is not that we get, we get bodies that conform to the cultural norms of this day and what our culture considers to be beautiful, but we're going to get bodies than which we will be able to serve and worship God perfectly forever and ever. And as we experience more and more the limitations 
and the deterioration that happens in our bodies. So many of us say, you know, my, my best days are behind me. No, they're not. My best days lie ahead because of the resurrection from the dead. And the grounds of this living hope that we have is the past resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 45, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, that is Jesus, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man, he came from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. That's us. We are of the earth. We're just like the earthly man. We die. We sin. These bodies will decompose. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And if you've been, giving, if you've been given new birth and a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, then you and I are of heaven. That's what he's saying. And, 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 and so because we are of heaven, verse 49, and just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, in these bodies we're in now, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Hallelujah. We're going to bear the likeness of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Philippians 3 that our Savior Jesus will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And remember, when Jesus had risen from the grave, he was recognizable. The disciples ate with him and they, they talked to, to him, but the properties of his body were different from his previous body, from his bo pre-resurrection body. And you and I are going to have eternity to discover and to enjoy the properties of our new bodies. And this means that we are a people who have a living hope. Friends, we have future promises that we can rest in. And it also means that even as we groan now, we are delivered from the fear of missing out, of missing out. I want to park here for a, mo a moment because so many of us, I hear this all the time, so many of us are afraid that we're going to miss out on something in life. Listen, if this life is all there is, then of course you're going to miss out on something about life because you will never experience enough of life. And isn't this the reason why so many of us have bucket lists? Well, before I kick the bucket, I'm going to get these things done in my life. We have bucket lists because we want to see and experience all kinds of things before we die. Now, some of you are going to get really mad at me, but I'm going to say it anyway. I only have a couple of weeks left, so tough luck. <laughs> only people without faith and people without hope have bucket lists. If we have faith, and a living hope, we don't need a bucket list. Listen, if you believe in the resurrection from the dead, then it doesn't matter what else happens to you in life. I don't need to see everything before I die. I don't need to experience everything before I die. Why? Because there is an age to come, which is way better than this present age, and I will live in the age to come in an indestructible body like Jesus. Let me take it one step further. And this might be harder for some of us to swallow, but it is true nonetheless. 
We don't need to experience a perfect, perfect physical health in this life because this life is not the only bodily experience we will have. I don't need to feel completely fulfilled in this life because there is another life to come and it is perfect. I agree wholeheartedly with, with Alberry when he said, you don't bury a Christian, you plant a Christian. So we don't need to fear the signs of aging, gray hair, wrinkles, sore joints. It's not a threat. You know what it is? It's a reminder of a promise of what is to come. And we don't need to fear the problems that we have with our hearts or problems with breathing or the losing of our sight or the losing of our mobility. It's really not a threat. They're just simply indicators of what Paul says in verse 53. Follow me as I read this. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are a believer, you can say with the Apostle Peter that he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Would you stand, please? What a foretaste of deliverance. How unwavering our hope. Christ in power resurrected as we will be when he comes. The Apostle Paul concludes this great resurrection passage with these words. Therefore, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Friends, there's all kinds of things in life that can move us. We don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen to you. I do know this. Very few of us, very few of us will die without pain and suffering. Don't let that move you. Why? Because Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So let us press on as a local church. Let's, let's fully engage in the work of the Lord, 100%, every one of us. Let's give our lives in service to Jesus Christ because our faith is not vain, our preaching is not vain, and our labor for the Lord is not in vain because Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. To him be the glory, the honor, and the power forever and ever. Amen.